and welcome to Living at the 45. I'm your host, Jack Brody, and today I'm with an old friend of mine, Will Bouchek, uh, from the Tennis Tribe, and uh, I've known him, uh, gosh, almost six years now, I think. Is that yeah, right? It's been a while. Yeah? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, we first started working together. Yeah, it, it probably is coming up on six years uh, when we started uh creating some some online content that, that's still out there on your YouTube channel, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it is. So. And and people don't know this, but Will actually helped create, uh, was you or you and JC, I can't remember, the, the first logo. Yeah. Had. I don't know where it is right now, but uh, it was a pretty cool logo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. That was a lot of so, fun. Yeah, well... It's good to see you, and uh, my viewers are definitely going to want to hear about this. I'm sure a lot of them follow you already, to tell you the truth. Uh, the Tennis Tribe is, I would say, very well known in the doubles community. I mean, you've really, <laughs> you've really decided to focus in on that. You yeah. know, of course, it always makes me wonder. The first question is, where did the passion come from? And I'm guessing when you and JC played in college? <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. Um yeah, we, we have definitely focused more on doubles and we're, we're trying to grow, uh, you know, reach more people as, as much as we can and help kind of promote doubles. But um, yeah, it, I guess, you know, I, I played doubles in college with JC. We played it, uh, you know, for any listeners who, who probably don't know, uh, we played at a small division three school in Birmingham, Alabama. And yeah, our coach was a former professional doubles player. Um, so his oh. name was Paul, Paul Rosner from South Africa. He played collegiately at UAB and I've then was top. Rosner. I've heard of yeah, him. Yeah, so he was top 100 in the world. I think he reached like 60-ish in the world in doubles. Um, so he was um, obviously a really good doubles player. Uh, and the year before I got there, the school had been Division One. So JC was actually a division one college tennis player. And then they dropped to division three. I was I division three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when they dropped to D three, our coach, I, you know, JC could tell you more about this than me, but our coach, apparently uh, he started to kind of take it a little bit easier as far as, you know, training and getting up early for runs and workouts and stuff like that. Cause it's D three now, right. It's not D one. Right. But we still had a, a pretty good team uh, with some former D1 players, obviously. And, uh, and we did play a lot of doubles. Um, but uh, fast forward, you know, I played all four years there, uh, played singles and doubles, and then took some time off after college, as a lot of people do. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of got burnt out, um, I guess you could say. And then, uh, yeah, when I moved to Austin, Texas in 2015, I started uh, using tennis just as a way to meet people. So I, I started signing up for some leagues, uh, USTA tournaments, things like that, and just started developing a group of friends, started playing more doubles. And that's when the strategy stuff started to kind of click for me. And I was like, there, there's something here with this like double strategy. It's a lot different than singles because you have more moving pieces on the court. Um, and I had experience building websites. So I, I built a website, started a doubles blog and just shared it with some friends I had met through these tournaments and leagues and 
just got really good feedback. Everybody was like, oh, I love your doubles lessons. And I'd have people come up to me in tournaments who I didn't even know. And they'd say, oh, I, I read all your doubles lessons. Um, so then from there, I, I just kept doing it because people gave me good feedback on it. And uh, now um, five years later, uh, I've got um, the doubles podcast. I've done some pro double scouting, which we may get into in a little bit. Um and then uh, also review tennis gear on the website. So um, there's a lot of different sides to it, but uh, most of it is really focused on doubles and helping people improve uh, strategically. Um, so uh, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of fun and it's been a, a good good journey. Not, not to be annoying, but I mean, my first thought is, and my first question would be, you know, because you know, you know how I feel about tennis, right? You know, I, I like you know hit a better ball. So I always wanted to hit a better ball. Period. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So my question would be: You must have different strategies for different levels because if you can't, hit, first of all, if you're not playing a team, if you're not playing five five, and they're not serving and volleying, mm -hmm. so you don't have to rip the return down at their feet, <clears throat> so your partner can move over and swat it. <clears throat> if you don't have if you don't have those skills, you're not playing mm -hmm. at that level. Number one, number two, you can't make that shot either. Right. So, I, so, do you have different strategies for different levels, like four zero, three zero, five zero? To an extent, um, really, kind of the the fundamental principles are pretty similar, whether it's three zero or even pro level doubles. Um, so. Uh, controlling kind of the middle of the court is uh, a good strategy in doubles um, at no matter the level. Going down the line is always a high-risk shot, oh, yeah. um, you know, no matter the level. Uh, making a lot of first serves is really important. So there's right. some kind You're of right. rules. Right. Yeah, there's some kind of rules and principles um, that apply to every level. But depending on your skill set, definitely um, – you know, the serve and volley might not be something that a 3-0 or a 3-5 player has. Um, so what I would encourage them to do is to work with, you know, somebody like you who teaches technique and teaches people to hit a better ball so that they can add that to their game. And then, you know, then they can come to somebody like me and say, okay, when should I actually be using this new serve and volley uh, tactic that I have learned from, uh, from Jack? So, uh, it, yeah, I, I view each one as, as kind of a tool to add to your toolkit. And, you know, I can serve in volley, but somebody who's maybe a three, five can't. So right. they should start working on that work with a coach who um, is good at uh, coaching technique, um, which I don't do myself because uh, it's it's so involved. And, you know, I'm a little bit. Uh, um, so you really I, teach, I just don't. Yeah, you teach classic doubles. You do. Yeah. You teach playing the best game period, whatever level you're at, then you encourage people to get better so they can do execute. Right. Yeah. And I, it's, it's really kind of dependent on, you know, it's all situational. So I, I really don't like when coaches say, um, Oh yeah. in doubles, you need to always serve in volley or it's always better to serve down the tee or it's always like, I hate the word like always, or the word never, because it's really yeah, situational. Yeah, yeah right? doubles is crazy. Sure, um, people play. They play the odd man, and then you know, up at net, all kinds. Right. Of, exactly. Know. So, like, that's why I feel like it's so much better to 
Um, if you can just add all these tools to your toolkit, like I said earlier, like be able to serve and stay back, be able to serve and volley. Um, and if your primary pattern, if the thing you like to do most is serve and volley, but then you come up against that returner um, who's able to just rip balls at your feet right. and you just, you're struggling against it. If you can also serve and stay back and make that adjustment, you're more likely to win the match instead of being stubborn and continuing to just stick with, you know, what you want to do. Um, so it really is situational and depends kind of on the opponent, your partner, um, and a lot of other uh, variables as well. Hmm. But there are but there are golden rules. You're right. I can only imagine getting your return cross court. That's got to be good for everybody, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I actually created a, a video um, last week on when to uh, when to hit down the line in doubles. And I talk about that returning cross court versus down the line. And um, yeah, it's, I would say it's definitely one of the most common uh, mistakes or one of the biggest issues I see with club level doubles players is they go down the line too often. Um, really? They, I, I didn't know that. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. They, they go down the line too often and because they make it once, they think they should be able to repeat it all the time. So then they end up making you know, three or four out of 10, but then you, you're only winning 40% of the points and that's not good enough. Right. So, um, going down the line too often is definitely a, a big mistake that I see. Now, are, what level are you talking about when you say going down the line is the biggest mistake? Um, mostly USTA level, uh, like that I'm watching. So, so it, it could be anywhere from three O up to even five O. Um, really? Uh, yeah, it depends. Across, they don't hit down the middle and cross court. Like some of them, it, it depends. Like I, I just got bumped up to five Oh in December uh-huh. and like, Good. I, you know, you know, I'm teaching this stuff, so I don't think I hit down the line too often, but I'll play against another five Oh player who, if I played the, well, if I played this person in singles, they would beat me. Oh, and one in 25 minutes. Right. But the reason they're a 5-0 doubles player and I'm a 5-0 doubles player is because I'm smarter than them. But they've got – they hit a better ball. They hit a bigger shot, a bigger serve. So yeah, That goes right against my old th- theory. <laughs> but in double, well, you might be – no, but you might be – you know, look at all the guys that are in their 40s, like Leander Pays and people that yeah. are so incredible, and they have the right. best strat- – they, they can slice and dice the court. You know what I mean? They right. can go in the small – and, and they just live on forever. It seems like they never retire. So I got to figure it's a lot of placement and, uh, yeah. and strategy. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it's, it is um, maybe more so than it is in singles just because there is there are more players on the court. Um, so there's just a lot more to kind of calculate. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll have matches. Uh, one match specifically comes to mind. Um, I played in a mixed doubles match. It was – uh, an open level match. So all the players were around five O level and this was maybe three or four years ago. And uh, my partner and I were playing against these two, this brother and sister who were, uh, I think they were in high school still, but about to go to college. Right. So really high level junior players. They both sure. ended up going and playing D one. And if my partner and I had played them in singles individually, we would have both just gotten smoked, but we played them in doubles and I just incorporated a lot of net movement, made them hit down the line a bunch. And they beat me a lot down the line, but they missed more than they would beat me. And they just couldn't figure out, 
you know, all they needed to do was either lob me or just stick with a cross court shot and make me hit the volley. And we ended up beating them in doubles, whereas nice, in singles, nice. they would have. I love that. It's a great win. Right. I had a question so, for you. It was it like yeah. some of my boys and, and kids I coached, do they just have those whippy, big Western, semi-Western or Western forehands, and they just like to spank it down the line, and they don't give a damn about doubles and all they care about, you know, <laughs> they have a singles mentality. Is that what it is? Because I noticed some of my best singles players, I won't mention names, would be mm-hmm. kind of dumb in doubles. They would they would go down the line a lot just because I think it was a, you know, they, yeah. just, they knew they could spank that forehand. I think it goes back to when we're like first taught doubles or maybe it's just like a human instinct but but we're all taught to not hit it at the net player so if the net player moves we are taught because we don't want to hit it at them we'll change direction and hit down the line even if that net player has not consistently beaten us with a volley so you know especially i return from the ad court and and especially from the ad court if you can hit a solid cross court return even if the net player poaches, they have a backhand volley, which I find is, is typically weaker for most players. Um, so rather than trying to redirect that, you know, down the line backhand return, just hit a solid cross court return. And even if they do poach, make them beat you a few times before, uh, before you adjust your strategy, because what's more likely to happen is they'll either miss that backhand volley or they'll pop it up and you'll have a short ball. Um, if you hit a good solid return, especially at our level. Um, now at the pro level, you know, if somebody's poaching, their their volleys are, are kind of a different level. Um, so they're able to to put that ball away a little bit easier. So you will see pros go down the line a little bit more often, um, but you also see them poaching a lot more. Uh, so I, I think what's going on with with your kids to kind of get back to your question is they're taught to not hit at the net player. And they probably love that feeling of hitting a down the line winner. Um, so they just want to do it more often, even if the percentages don't say that that's the, the winning strategy. Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, and I've always said that, especially among the juniors, every mm-hmm. junior's best shot is his, in, is his or her inside out forehand, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, they're a little more convex. They're getting a bigger piece of the ball, a bigger piece of the strings. So, it, yeah. you know, it sinks into the strings a little more and dings the ball. So everyone loves that swipe, you know, that that inside yeah. out forehand. So I think it's probably everyone's better shot. So they're like, well, screw it. I'm just going to hit down the line because, you know, yeah. that's what I like to hit. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of um, yeah, a lot of players. Uh, and w- another thing I've noticed is like at the college level, especially, it seems like a lot of the coaches teach their players to just return across their body. So if you're in the ad court, if it comes to your forehand, just return down the line. If it comes to your backhand, return cross court. Um, And then vice versa for the deuce court. Uh, Uh And yeah, I I mean, I guess that can work and you can like it, it improves your odds to hit a good ball, but it, it does become predictable. Right. Um, well, especially the inside, the inside out backhand is not the easiest return to serve either, especially, no, for, the no, especially for the two-hander. Right, right. So it's, um, you know, it, you know, if it works for you, sure, but I, I, I don't like it. Uh, I just don't like blanket rules like that where it's like always do this, you know. Um, I, I feel like being unpredictable is more important than uh, 
than um, kind of sticking to, to one game plan all the time. No, I like it. you definitely studied it. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I stand corrected. I guess uh, you, you uh, uh, words you've proven it. You're out there proving it. A player that doesn't hit quite as good a ball as someone else, maybe not as lively in arm, or maybe they're younger. You can still by you know different by using proper strategies, uh, right? End up. Well, I, th- I think it depends. You know, like like for some people, their limiting factor is going to be technique. Like for me, it's probably technique at this point, right? I've studied double strategy for so long, like me studying double strategy for another year is probably not going to make a giant impact in my game. But if I could, you know, get on the court and work with you on my serve for a week, that'd probably have a big impact for me. So it just kind of depends on, yeah, where your, um, I would say like where your limiting factor is. Not to mention you'd have to get back in the gym three times a week, (laughs) maybe jump rope for a couple hours a week. Right. Maybe even get a knee replacement. Who knows? (laughs) Hey, what about this thing you were mentioning before about scouting? What pro scouting, pro double scouting? Are you out there like legit? Yeah. You know, out there scouting doubles teams for who? For big companies like Head or Wilson or what? Uh, no, so I um, so I work with a company called Tennis Analytics with uh, Warren Pretorius. I've heard of uh, that company. Yeah, so he um, so he has most of his co- uh, clients are colleges in universities. So college tennis teams will take their match video, they'll send it to tennis analytics and tennis analytics gives them reports uh, with a lot of data. Um, And a lot of pro players use them as well. Um, Singles, uh, but well, exclusively singles at the pro level, but I'm starting to try to implement this in doubles. And over the past three years, I'll take match video from a match uh, at the French Open, for example, send it to Tennis Analytics. They will get the data for me. So it'll I'll get numbers like first serve percentage, uh, first serve placement, return placement, um, error rates, things like that. And I'll kind of analyze it and figure out how do you beat this particular team? So I've done that for, um, I started with Nicole Melikar, who's uh I don't know what she's ranked now. She was like top 10 in the world last year for a while and made the WTA finals. Um, and I've done uh, a few other for a few other players as well. Um, huh. Did so, you ever run across a girl named Abby Spears? Um, so I interviewed her for my podcast yesterday. Are you kidding? Because I, you know, I used to no. work with her for a few years when she I did not like know that. 17, 18, 19, right in there. Okay. She was hit with Eric Riley, who was a 16-year-old boy of mine, who was good. Got player, it. Good player. Okay. And uh, yeah, so she's the only girl I can think of that I coached that was a double specialist, right? Right. She, she didn't really do crack an egg in singles, but she actually did quite well in doubles. I think she might have gotten top five in the world and and, and gotten to the yeah. finals. Gotten to the finals of a couple of big slams, I think. Yeah, yeah, she. Um, since she I interviewed nice, her yesterday, she yeah, nice she was girl. great. She, what a coincidence! What a coincidence! Yeah, that's yeah. funny. I should have mentioned your name because she, oh, yeah. she told me she was in the San Diego area. So yeah, I yeah, yeah. Oh, too bad. Uh-huh. No, I worked with her for a couple of years. She was great. Yeah, she always came with her dad. Always came yeah. with her dad from like okay. seventeen to nineteen, right in there. 
And she yeah. loved, yeah, and, and I worked with her with the boards and she loved playing uh, one of my boys. They were very close. He okay. was 16, she was uh, 17 and they had great matches. But anyway, that's funny. That's, what a coincidence. Yeah, uh, she was a, yeah, she was top 10 and then won uh, the mixed doubles at the Australian Open in 2017 and made some other Grand Slam I knew she semis and stuff like That's that. Great. Yeah, yeah, nice girl. Um, so anyway, so go ahead. So tell me more about the scouting. What a coincidence, though. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's funny. You would think that, and I'm still like getting a sense of how, because uh, I haven't worked with a lot of coaches at this point, um, just uh, one or two on the the WTA tour. Um, but I'm hoping to do that more just to learn more about how they go about game planning. And on my podcast, you know, I'll, I'll interview players and ask them about that. But what I'm gathering is, is there's just not a lot of analytics in doubles right now, um, if any. And it, it's grown over the last five years uh, or 10 years or so in singles. And it's kind of commonplace at this point. Uh, among the top 50, they're all using some form of analytics. So um, I've got a, a blog post and then a video series, and I'll, I'll send you the link so you can uh, share it in the show notes if you'd like to. Um, yeah. Called how, It's called How to Beat the Number One Doubles Team in the World. So I did a scouting report for Nicole Melikar and her partner at the WTA Finals against uh, Barbara Krachikova and Katerina Siniakova. Uh -huh. who's there's still the top doubles team in the world on the women's side. And um, one of the things I found was Krachikova, she returns in the deuce court and most players serve uh, down the tee to her backhand. Right. And I don't know if that's because, you know, all these coaches are saying, yes, yeah, serve down the tee. It's the Have best it. strategy for Have doubles. It. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Dominate but then the I, I run the numbers and I'm looking at Krachikova's win percentage when she hits returns that are served out wide into the body and down the tee. And she wins a far lower percentage when people serve out wide to her. So then I also look at her forehand and backhand error rate on returns. And her forehand error rate is almost double her backhand error rate. So... I tell that to Nicole. I tell that to her coach. And I'm like, hey, everybody's serving down the tee to her. You need to be serving out wide to her forehand. She misses more. She wins a lower percentage of points. Uh, they did that. They won the first set, lost the second set. The Czechs made some good adjustments and then lost in a close 10-point tiebreaker. Um, and then I sent the same strategy to um, the coach of uh, Haddad Maia and Dan Alina, who were in the finals of the Australian Open. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and just through like, through a connection, uh, I randomly like got a connection to that coach. So I was like, oh, I have a scouting report on them. Here it is. I sent it to them. Same thing. They won the first set and then lost in three. So um, they obviously in both cases, they didn't win, but it got them closer than you might have expected. And when I go back and look at the post-match analysis, the numbers add up, right? When they're serving wide to Krachikova's forehand, working, they they win a higher percentage of points. And, and when I start analyzing all these numbers, I, I just find more and more of this where it's like most of the pro players are doing this and it's not working as well as when they do this. 
So it's, it's really, um, it's really interesting to, and, and I majored in math in college, so I, I love this stuff. Um, yeah. So it's really interesting to see that uh, even at the top level of our game, there's still improvement to be made as far as strategy goes. Wow. That's, uh, and that's why you're traveling all the time. Cause you know, we chat once in a while, text <laughs> and email, and sometimes I don't hear from you for a couple of days. Ah, I've been over in Indian Wells or here. Well, Actually, I'm traveling just because I like to travel. I do mo- I do most of that remotely, um, so I'm able to do all of that from home. Oh, really? Yeah. So that we get uh, we get just the footage of the matches and send it to Tennis Analytics, and then they send me the data, and I just do it from my laptop and email the scouting report. So it's it's pretty it straightforward. Does, it does sound pretty. It does sound like it's a good addition to coaching. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you need it. Uh, the only. Of course, my thought would be, do they have anything that's particular enough to where instead of saying, you know, so-and-so misses so many backhands, how many go mm-hmm. in the net versus wide versus long? But that would be, I guess, yeah. impossible. But No, I, I mean, we've got some data on that, but it's, um, yeah, I'd have to look at, uh, yeah, I, I need to analyze it like at a different level. I've started kind of fairly uh, simply. Huh. Well, it's, it's, I'll tell you what, I, I, I am, I am blown away. I got to tell you in college, it was the same thing though. Isn't that funny? I played with my best friend, Billy, Billy Hine, mm-hmm. uh, and he and I were three and four on the team mm-hmm. uh, and we would always play one doubles yeah. because there was something special. You know, we, first of all, we really liked playing with each other. And I think that's at least in college ball and juniors, mm-hmm. actually, you got to kind of love your doubles partner, right? I mean, you got to, yeah. you got to kind of love them. And because yeah. you got to want to win for them, you know. Right, it's and, true at every uh, level for sure. Yeah, and I, I, and you know, maybe, um, and he did. He had a lot of plays. Let's, you know, I'm gonna because he had a big top spin forehand, and we always played everyone who served in volley, and he could mm-hmm. spank it down, big western grip down at their feet. Mm-hmm. So I would just run across the middle of the court wherever I was, <laughs> you know, and, and some of them figured it out. But you know, the, it's pretty hard to pass you when your head's buried in the ground. You're trying yeah. to pick up a volley. It's hard to go inside out every time. Right. And, uh, but stuff like that. But you're right, I, I guess. Um, and I hear it a lot, you know, especially uh, some of the kids that I coach in the juniors or college. Some of them will, you know, some of them you can tell that really prefer for the forehand, uh, I mean, singles. And mm-hmm. some of them uh, just go, oh, I always do better in doubles. I, I don't know. Hmm. I guess it's just a particular personality that likes to be a part of the team. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, obviously, like volleys are a thing in doubles. So, like, if you're really uncomfortable at the net, then you might not be a great doubles player um, unless you can kind of find that partner who is really good at the net and you can set them up. Yeah. Uh, and vice versa, that- too, because I didn't love my game when I was in co- juniors or college. And I, I chipped too many backhands. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I blocked and came into net. So it was really more suited for doubles anyway. You know, it was the guys mm-hmm. who could sit in the backcourt and just spank balls from both wings. They didn't want to play doubles, right? They just, right. You know, and I wasn't that guy. If I were, maybe I, I would, would have preferred singles. But uh, yeah, I, yeah. Had, I had to finagle a little bit out there, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's part of the game, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I guess... Uh, I guess another thing I would think about is like, if you're, if you have a clear weapon or weakness where like one side's a lot stronger than the other. Right. So you see, um, 
like Jack Sock has this huge forehand. Right. He's one of the best best doubles players in the world, right? So right. he can just he can just run around his backhand every time in doubles, and it's no issue. Whereas in singles, he can't quite do that. Um, where so, did he play? Where, where, what side does he play, Jack? Um, Jack, he played the ad think, court. I think with Isner this year, he has played the ad court. Yeah, yeah, he did play the ad court. So yeah, he can. Man, I mean, it's tough. Like when he can run around that backhand, and especially if he sets up from like the doubles alley or even outside it. Even if, they, even if they kick, even if they kick that big kick, you're oh for the return for the return. It's it's different. Um, I just mean like during the point. Oh, okay. Like if yeah, yeah. Uh, for the return, yeah. I mean, I mean, he still likes to run around his backhand and. and and just rip that forehand. Um, and it, it's still difficult, but it's, it's not quite as consistent on the return. Right? right. But if, if you are serving and volleying and you and your partner both get to the net and Jack's back there ripping forehands, yeah. the thing I've noticed is if, if he can set up in the doubles alley or even outside it and, and have that run around forehand, you're just, there's nothing you can do because he can dip it on the far side in the ad court, he can yeah. rip it right through the middle or he can take it down the line. So the thing I would do, um, A, I would never be playing him because I'm not good enough. But <laughs> if I was, I would actually play his forehand more towards the middle. So he has less angles to work with. Um, oh, just give it to him right down the middle. Yeah. So just give him his forehand and, and you know, the closer to the middle, the better, because that, that way he has fewer angles to work with. Because if you are trying to force it to his backhand and you don't get it there and he has time to run around it, right. you're just, you're done because you've given him all to, these angles. Yeah. He has so much rotation on his ball. It's 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 like Nadal. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Maybe more than Nadal. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think he strings his racket at like 30 or something. It's just, it's crazy. Is that, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm a big fan. It, it's something that. super loose. Yeah, I, I love the loose strings now with the dead with the dead string, you know, the, you know, I, I, the co the copolies, but I didn't know he, he strung it really low. Also, yeah, I don't know how low, but I know it's. I've heard it's very very low. Classic, classic. Yeah. Hey, well, you know what? I, I really appreciate your time today because I really, I mean, I, I don't pay. I'm like everyone else, or not everyone else, but I'm like so many uh, snobs tennis snobs. I, I really dial in mostly for the slams, but also mostly for the singles, but that's all you really get to see. You know what I mean? You don't, Yeah. it's very seldom they'll play doubles, usually the tail end of a tournament. You know, if there's, uh, if there's a rain delay, they'll show the doubles mm -hmm. from yesterday or something like that. You know, they don't really highlight the doubles. So that's probably another reason I don't watch much doubles. It's not, I mean, unless I'm wrong about that, you, you see, you know, probably 90 yeah. singles. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, it's something that is kind of one of our missions at Tennis Tribes to try to grow, um, continue to grow pro doubles as well, right? So we, um, I'm actually wearing one of my shirts right now. Watch more doubles. Yeah, see classic. That. I love it. Um, so yeah, so we we launched these at Indian Wells this year with uh, Gabby Dabrowski, who is um, top. 10 in the world right now in doubles. She actually just won in Madrid and then made the finals of Rome. So they're definitely a team to watch uh, at Roland Garros. But um, yeah, we've partnered with her and some other WTA players and a few ATP players. And yeah, we're just trying to promote this like watch more doubles campaign to try to get tennis channels 
um, attention and, and have them show it more because it's what most people play. So you would think like they'd want to watch it more. Uh, and I feel like people do. Um, we've gotten a lot of good traction on it, but Great. you really have to dig uh, to find the doubles matches. You have to pay for Tennis Channel Plus, which is like $100 a year or something, or pay for like ESPN Plus. Um, they don't show it on the kind of main network. I see. As so often. you can get it, but you have to pay. You have to get it through one of the more obscure stations. I, I take yeah. you have one of those. I take you have one or two of those stations. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I pay for uh, Tennis Channel Plus, ESPN Plus, um, and I think ATP TV is the other one I pay for. Um, okay. So you can usually find the doubles matches. You can stream on one of their apps. Um, but I see. Yeah, it definitely doesn't get the the love that we think it should. So yeah. we're working on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a favorite you got for Roland Garros since we're right in the middle of that? Yeah, I mean, for the men, um, the men's field seems more wide open to me. Uh, I guess I would pick Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury since they're they seem to be the most consistent team over the last couple of years. So that's kind of the safe pick. Um, but uh, Mekdic and Pavic, who right. you know d- dominated early last year, seem to be playing well again. They just won in Rome. Um, and then on the women's side, uh, you really can't pick against Krejcikova and Siniakova. Um, to to me, you know, if people listening want uh, to watch somebody to try to like implement into their own game. Uh, Katerina Siniakova, I think is the best doubles player in the world on the women's side. Um, and I actually think women's doubles is better to watch for most like club level players because it's a little bit more similar to our game styles because they typically will play a little bit more of one up one back. Whereas the men's, they do. And the men's game is so fast. Um, and they have these shots that that most club level players just don't have, um, and in the women's game, yeah, I mean, most of them will play one up one back, so it's a little more applicable to um, to kind of the USTA level. Uh, and and oh. Katarina Siniakova is great to watch because she's such a good mover at the net. She knows when to move forward versus stay at the baseline. They um, must all, all have great lobs so. too. They do, yeah, and that's the other thing, like the. Uh, most of the women, right. They're not quite as tall. They don't have as much reach. So, um, if they both do get to the net, the lobs a little bit more effective. Um, right. So that's, that's why I feel like a lot of them stay kind of one up one back a little more often. All right. Wow. That, that, I did not know that about women's doubles, but I guess that would make it a little more interesting, longer points. That was one of my things when I watched a little dubs, men's dubs, some grand slam some year, <laughs> I remember yeah. thinking, yeah, the points are just too fast, too quick. You know, you it is. Really, uh, it's almost like trying to watch ice hockey. You know, where's the puck? You know, <laughs> where, where with I, I guess the women might be a little bit more fun to watch. More yeah, stat, more strategy. Yeah, the ball's a little bit easier to follow in the women's doubles. The men's uh, can be, I mean, just back and forth, and it's so fast. Like it, you'll have these three ball rallies, right? It's a hundred and twenty mile an hour serve a 90 mile an hour return and then it's picked off right there at the net and the points over and it just happens so quickly. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I would, you know, if, if you're looking for a place to start, I would recommend uh, watching the, the WTA doubles for sure. Well, good. 
Good, good. Well, like I said, I'm going to get back on it myself here this afternoon. <laughs> I was watching Nadal and put it on pause. So, uh, but he looked like he was cruising again in the second round. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he'll have no issue uh, in the first uh, couple. You're of not rounds. a double snob, are you? You will watch singles once in a while, won't you? Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching, um, I've been watching a lot more the past uh, year or so, a lot more Nadal, Djokovic, just because I know like, we may not have that many years of them left. So yeah. when they're on, I, I do try to watch them uh, just cause I, I just appreciate like, it's just incredible. Like watching Alcaraz today, like struggle yeah, uh, into the fifth set. And then you watch Djokovic and Nadal and they're just so business-like just rolling through the first couple of rounds. Um, it's just so amazing how consistently at a high level they can play. Yeah, it's uh, but I don't think we're going to see anyone win 20 grand slams for a little while now. I don't think so either. I think these two <laughs> guys, they really they were really something special, but uh, they were. I, I think it'll they'll start trading on and off again, like back in the 90s, you know, when it was Hewitt and Sampras and this one and that, you know, when they mm -hmm. traded off every year a little bit. I, I think that's what'll happen with the grand, yeah. yeah, with the rankings and the slams. Yeah. Hey. Thanks again. Uh, is, is there any place you'd like these folks to visit? Uh, you know, as long as we're uh, saying our goodbyes, we, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for uh, everything's on my website, vtennistribe.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all the social platforms. If you, you just look find up them, Tennis you Tribe. Can, you can find them at brodytennis.com. You're one of our partners and we are very yep. selective, uh, very you know, we have a lot of discretion when we choose our partners. So yeah. So BrodyTennis.com as well. Right. You um, can find them right there. And who knows, we'll probably promote and do more with one another in the future. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah. And if people want to sign up for the newsletter, they can do that at the website. Um, I do a, a new stri double strategy lesson every Thursday. Um, so they get an email every Thursday. It's either video podcast blog posts, sometimes both, um, or sometimes all three. Uh, so that's the easiest way to kind of follow along and, um, see if, uh, see if you want to get more into, uh, the double strategy. That's great. Is that like a whiteboard thing sometimes? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. The videos, um, I actually bought a, uh, a whiteboard with like a tennis court on it, uh, last year. So I've started okay. doing some videos with that and kind of show people how to, move around the court and position themselves and where to hit and things like that. So, um, yeah, I'd encourage people to definitely check out the newsletter. That's great. Um, Cause that, that's the best way to follow along. That's great. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I've got the newsletter, so I know that's true. Thank you very much awesome. uh, for your time. Yeah. Thanks today. for having yeah. me on. All right. I really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon about some other little project we might want to do together. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> thanks.